Welcome to Grow It Minnesota, the podcast about growing fruit, vegetables, flowers, and anything else in a cold, cold climate. I'm Mary Shear, a home gardener and author of the book, The Northern Gardener, From Apples to Zinnias. On this program, we talk to some of the best gardeners in the Midwest, so you can grow a more productive, beautiful garden, no matter the weather. Let's get on to today's guest. Okay, well, welcome, folks. Today, my guest is Jennifer McGinnis. She is a longtime garden blogger and is known all over the internet as Frau Zinni. And she's a wonderful photographer. Um, and also, she's the author of the brand new book, Micro Food Gardening, which is all about growing food and fruit in small spaces. And the book includes 30 really wonderful projects for doing small space gardening. So, Jen, welcome to the podcast, and thanks so much for being with me. Thank you so much for having me on today. Yes. So, um, tell first, why don't we just start by defining micro food gardening? What, what does that mean? Sure. Um, well, micro food gardening focuses on plants that stay very compact. So you'll be able to grow edibles even if you only have a front porch, a window box, or a windowsill. Generally speaking, it's any edible plant that's approximately 18 inches or 46 centimeters or smaller when the plant has reached harvest size. Um, some plants, such as vines, may grow a little bit larger, but they still produce smaller size fruit. Mm -hmm. So there, it's really for people with very little space to grow in. That's Definitely, yes. <laughs> right. And so what are the benefits of doing micro food gardening? So the book's projects show that you don't need access to a lot of land in order to have a garden. You can grow food in small spaces, either indoors or outdoors, on a table or on a wall. And the book's projects offer ideas on how to take advantage of your available space, whether it's a sunny sunny wall or, or a tabletop. And the nice thing about the dwarf plants is that they usually reach harvest size faster. Uh, for example, like baby greens only take about 20 to 25 days and you can start harvesting them. Mm -hmm. And I, it seems to me like there are just more and more of these dwarf plants that are being introduced nowadays. Yeah, it seems like um, the breeders are really paying attention to the fact that people live in cities or, you know, limited spots. Even if you are in a suburb, you may not have access to a big front garden or, or backyard. Uh, so it's really nice that they're breeding these smaller varieties for home gardeners now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I noticed even things like um, you had an eggplant pictured in one of the projects. And I'm like, I think of that as a bigger plant, but this was just a tiny little thing in a pot. Yeah, that was uh, a really fun plant to grow. I think that was uh, the Little Prince from Renee's Garden. Um, but that stayed nice and compact and was able to stay in that pot. And you're right, usually eggplant, you think something's going to be three or four feet tall and take up a lot of room. Yeah. And so what there are some limitations, though, on what you can grow in these kinds of projects. And can you can you outline for people what, what are the kinds of things you wouldn't want to try in a in a micro food garden? Sure. Well, First of all, you you uh, won't be able to stop shopping at the grocery store for your vegetables because you'll still be growing um, small quantities of food, but you would be able to grow your ingredients that are added to like salads or stir fries or, or omelets, for example. Um, you'll want to look for those uh, varieties that are going to stay compact, such as uh, cucumbers. Usually, 
you know, if you grow cucumbers, you think you need a lot of space to grow vertical or horizontally out. But a lot of those, um, the bush versions will stay more compact and can stay in a tighter spot. It's really paying attention to your plant tags and your uh, seed packets to see what would be container friendly. Right. And that information, I mean, people can find that on a plant tag, on the seed packet. I mean, it always says what the mature size of a plant is going to be. Right. And if it's not on a seed packet, you could probably find it through a, a you know, a Google search online fairly quickly. <laughs> I mean, how did you get interested in micro food gardening? Um, well, luckily now I do have a garden, um, but my full sun areas are in the driveway of of my property. So I have to be creative with how I'm going to grow edibles in that space to take the best advantage of it. So I started, you know, working with containers and growing edibles in those spots. And it just kind of evolved. I, you know, grew up in the city and I Luckily, I had a, a garden when I was little, but a lot of my friends only had access to, you know, balconies or uh, really small pieces of property. So this whole awareness of knowing that people want to grow food but may not have those big spots, spaces of land um, and how you can best, you know, still use your space but get into gardening kind of always percolating in the background. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So um, I noticed also some of the projects are even for growing food indoors, which is is interesting that you're able to do that. I mean, what kinds of things do you think people should try growing indoors? Sure. Well, you can um, you can grow uh, baby greens indoors. Um, if you have grow lights, you can do microgreens on a countertop. A lot of the herbs, you can grow uh, baby bok choy. So a lot of it has to do with having access to to light. So if you're in a, a darker house, you'll want to think about adding a grow light to either a tabletop or or maybe a, like a bookcase. You can install them that way as well. Um, or if you have a really bright, sunny window, like maybe west facing, that might do the trick too for some of these plants. Right. I mean, it depends. Here in Minnesota, I mean, most of us that are growing seeds you know, if we're going to start tomatoes and things like that, we have to start them indoors. So, and you almost have to start them under grow lights. So having grow lights is pretty common here. And I I think it's something people could keep their grow lights on longer than, you know, we normally do um, if they want to grow some, some herbs or something indoors during the winter. Yeah, you bring up a really great point. Like it's not just a certain season where you have to use those grow lights and then you put them away. You can definitely multi-purpose them for other parts of the year as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. Okay, so uh, I just loved all the projects that you had in this book. So why don't you start by telling me, did you have a favorite project? Well, thank you. <laughs> I'm glad that um, I'm glad that you did like them. Um, my favorite project was the strawberry cake stand. Um, I had a lot of fun making that one because I had in my head this, you know, the tabletop display of what a tiered cake would look like. But instead of you know cake with frosting, uh, the cake stand has the alpine strawberries growing in it instead. So making that project come to life and and work and be able to be displayed was a lot of fun. And um, I, I I'm partial to that one. <laughs> yeah. And why don't you tell people a little bit about what it what what the what the cake stand is made out of cuz that's kind of the fun part about it. Sure. So for that project you take the cake pans that you bake a cake in and you add drainage holes to them and then there's a steel rod that 
you insert in the middle with washers and, and nuts to kind of space out those cake pans. So you have one on the bottom um, and then you, you know, measure up a little bit higher. I use the strawberry plant itself to kind of give me an idea of how tall that would have to be. Uh, and then I, you know, installed another uh, nut and washer and put the next cake pan on top. So you're building that uh, cake pan on the metal rod in the middle until you get three tiers. And then after the, um, the cake rod and cake pans are assembled, you then plant the strawberries inside them. Yeah, it's really cute. It's really cute. And what I liked about your instructions is you were really clear with people. Sometimes if you go to Pinterest, for instance, you'll see things like people growing herbs in mason jars and stuff like that. And they don't ever mention you have to drill a hole in that for drainage. Whereas your projects, they're really attractive, but they're also, you know, correct. <laughs> they're going to actually, you know, the plant won't die of root rot sitting in those things. <laughs> yes, drainage is such an important um, aspect to any container. And it was kind of fun to like look around and see like, well, what can be turned into a container to grow food in? Um, so, you know, the drill does come out a lot when in the, for the projects in the book, but uh, it's a lot of fun and, and it really I think helps spur your imagination of, you know, containers don't always have to just be a terracotta pot or a window box. Like you can repurpose a coffee mug uh, for a smaller plant or like you said, the mason jars. So are there any things people need to consider about their containers in terms of how big they are, depending on the plant that they're putting in them? Um, so you'll definitely want to make sure your container has a drainage hole. Um, we were just talking about how it's important for that extra water to escape. For micro food projects, it could be as small as a coffee cup or maybe a muffin pan, um, but you can go as large as a five-gallon grow bag, too. Those usually fit in tight spaces, um, and that's because, again, the plants will stay compact and small. And if you combine plants into a planter, you'll want to pick a larger pot so the roots do still have room to grow. So you're not going to, you know, try to fit three plants into a very tiny six-inch pot because that's just, it's, it won't work even if you cross your fingers, right? Um, but you could go as large as a 14-inch pot and, and get some of those dwarf varieties in there together. Probably no more than like three when you come to that. Uh, a window box, you can, depending on how long it is, you can probably fit a few extra plants in there as well. Mm -hmm. And what about soil? What do you recommend people do for choosing a soil to grow the, the micro food gardens? Sure. I, I prefer um, using organic potting soil when possible. And I like to have a nice mix of perlite in there too, to, you know, facilitate that draining. So that way the soil won't stay compact and wet for a long period of time. Right. Yeah. And the perlite is that little white stuff that shows up in the potting soil mixes and it produces better drainage. Right. right. <laughs> yeah. And do you have to fertilize these um, mini food gardens a lot or, 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 you know, how much, how much of that do they require? Well, because they are uh, container plantings, you are going to lose those nutrients a bit faster when you're watering the plants. So you'll want to consider introducing an organic fertilizer, maybe like a seaweed fertilizer. Um, I like to use one of those on my plants. Um, and, you know, you don't have to use a fertilizer. You'll still be able to grow food, but you're setting the plant up for more success if you give it the nutrients that it needs on a regular basis. And And what about watering? Is that another thing people need to be sort of more frequent than you would with an in-ground garden? 
So the the watering uh, really kind of depends on the variety of the plant because, um, you know, some plants like tomatoes and uh, peppers don't mind being a little bit dried out uh, for a little bit longer than, say, um, you know, the baby greens. Like they kind of want like moist soil for, for the majority of the time. Uh, and if it starts to get too dry, they'll they'll show you that they're not happy because they'll start to wilt. Well, why don't we talk through a couple of the projects in the book? I really, I think one that a lot of people would like to do is the salsa garden that you described. So what, what would you include and how did you put that little container together? Yeah, the salsa garden is a fun one because you can also take uh, dwarf varieties of plants that are already started. You can buy those at your garden center. You don't necessarily have to start them from seed, but if you do, that's that's great too. Um, but you take a dwarf micro variety of a tomato um, and you combine it with a dwarf either bell pepper or jalapeno, depending on your preference for your, for your salsa. And then you combine it with um, the young cilantro seedlings, or you could sprinkle some cilantro seeds directly into the pot too and let it grow uh, in the shadow of the tomato and the pepper. Uh, so you put everything in that one large pot. I think it's about 14 inches. And then you water it, you set it in a nice sunny spot and you're good to go. You just keep an eye on it, make sure you know it gets the water it needs and, and the sunlight and you can give it a little bit of fertilizer and soon you'll have the ingredients to make your own salsa. <laughs> Yeah, oh, that's a great one. And, uh, and uh, you know, and here in Minnesota, I think most people would probably buy those as plants, um, unless they've already started the seeds in, indoors, they'd be buying them as a plants at a farmer's market or garden center or something like that. The plants you grow are kind of small, but there are some taller ones like cucumbers. And I really liked your cucumber tower. Tell, tell folks how you put that together. Oh, yeah. The cucumber tower is a lot of fun. And it's nice for um, narrow corners of patios or walkways because it starts with a large terracotta pot on the bottom. And you're using um, rocks to help stabilize it and give that pot some sturdy weight. Um, then you take a larger PVC pipe and you insert that into the pot. You put your soil around it, but you'll need help, you know, either a family member or a friend to kind of hold that up for you because you then pour some more rocks inside the PVC pipe to help again to stabilize it. If you're thinking about setting it up in a spot that's windy, you can always add uh, a wall anchor kit to just make sure it has a little extra um, stability. I didn't have to use one of those just based on where I set it up along my walkway, um, but it's a, a good option to keep in mind. So then, when you're building it, you have those rocks in that PVC pipe, and then you put some more soil in. Um, I gradually added water so that way the soil would settle, and that way you don't get those air po pockets in there as well. And when all the soil has pretty much settled inside that large PVC pipe, that's when I planted the um, cucumber seedlings in the top. And as the cucumbers grow, you um, see them, you know, cascade down. And one of the ways to water them, which is important, I forgot to mention, is that you put a smaller PVC pipe inside with holes. So that way you can take your watering can and just kind of go up to the pipe, water into the smaller one, and then that helps distribute the water throughout the pipe without overflowing. And then, you know, if you put too much water in, you don't want it to the soil to go everywhere on you. So that kind of helps keep that in check. That's cool. How tall was your, your cucumber tower? 
Oh, geez. Um, I think once it was in the pot, geez, I think it was almost close to six feet tall. <laughs> uh, because I also put it on a rolling plant stand to make it a little bit easier for me to move. So, you know, I, I'm definitely shorter than six feet. So I had to get out like the ladder sometimes to water it. But I started getting really good at getting the little watering can up there and, and getting the right angle. <laughs> yeah. And did you get quite a few cucumbers off of that? Yeah, you know, I ended up harvesting about eight or nine of them. Again, like you're not going to, you know, get a lot of cucumbers that you're going to have to, you know, put away a bunch for canning or preserving. But it is like a good steady supply that, you know, if you want a salad or um, in the book there, I, I talk about my mom's cucumber salad and, and you know, two cucumbers is enough to make that one. And, and you know, it's... <laughs> good for a small meal. Cucumbers are one of those things that I think you're more often likely to have too many rather than too few. So, <laughs> so just a few is usually plenty. Uh, so how did you get into gardening? What, what, uh, what got you started? Well, I was really lucky in that I grew up with gardening. My mom was always into house plants. My dad grew ornamental plants in our small backyard, and my grandfather grew edibles at his house. So, no matter what, I was always kind of surrounded by plants. And I, you know, always just, they were part of my life. And when I was growing up and becoming like, you know, a teenager, I would start reading the gardening books that were in the house. And I just became more familiar with, you know, reading those instead of, you know, <laughs> um, I guess, you know, there was always the babysitter's club, but there was also, you know, I read Crockett's too. So <laughs> it was a nice little mix there. Um, and then, you know, my parents just encouraged me to, to, you know, experiment with plants. And one time when I was in like seventh or eighth grade, my dad let me plant like a hundred tomato seedlings just so we could see what would happen. And it worked, but then we ended up supplying like lots of the surrounding doctor offices and, you know, <laughs> the neighbors with plenty of tomatoes for the rest of the season. So I learned then like, oh, you don't always have to plant all the seeds that are in every packet. <laughs> no. Just a few will do <laughs> so I learned that at a young age. <laughs> but in your but and your current garden is it's not entirely food, right? You grow other things as well. Right. I um I have a mix. I like to grow my edibles and my ornamental plants together um, in the front garden. Um, and I like to incorporate a lot of the pollinator friendly plants as well. So that way it's providing food for the native bees and and the butterflies. I, I really enjoy attracting the monarch butterflies in particular to the garden. So I have led a patch um, along my driveway to have some milkweed so that way I can help sustain them as well. Um, so it is a little bit challenging because the garden, again, doesn't get full day sun. It's finding what would work in that part sun, part shade. And then in the back garden, I actually have black walnut trees, which is a whole other um, challenge. And I learned that the the hard way. But now I think we've got this nice relationship going on where they exist. I figured out what can grow around them and, and we all kind of get along. <laughs> what what can grow around them? So I... I've had uh, success growing hostas around them. Um, hellebores do really well. I've had luck with spice bush and then also flocks and daylilies. And depending on, you know, how large the tree canopy is uh, will affect whether you can grow like the, the tall flocks or the daylilies. But luckily for me, the way the, the sun crosses over my property, I get that late afternoon sun. So I'm able to, to make it work. 
Mm-hmm. And when you do a combination of ornamental and edibles, are you doing those like in beds or in pots or how, how do you mix the two together? I do both. So if I can put them in the ground, I will pair them up. But sometimes I want to add like a little bit of height to the to the garden. So I will put in like a taller pot next to maybe uh, like a perennial hibiscus. I'll put a large pot with chard in there just to kind of give us some contrast and color and, and height. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there are quite a few really ornamental edible plants like chard. I mean, what are some of your favorites that you're using that are ornamental edibles? Definitely, definitely the chard. In the front garden, I have a large tower that I grow mm-hmm. the beans on. And then in the spring, I'll I'll grow the peas on there as well. So they're nice because you get the, the little small flowers and they'll attract the hummingbirds, which is awesome during the summertime. Um, and then, you know, some of those micro varieties of peppers, they'll stay really small. So they kind of work as a nice little edging plant. Um, so that's that's nice too, because then you have the front border with the edible, but then you could have something taller behind it like a like a zinnia. Yeah. So which of the like of the so the micro peppers, do you have a particular variety you like that you do in a an arrangement like that? That's the question. So I really like to grow um the Cayenetta pepper. It's an All-America Selections. That one's going to stay pretty small. Um, I also used it in the book for the the wine box garden, um, but it provides that nice shorter uh, pepper with the nice red decorative peppers out front as well. Oh, yeah. Those are very pretty. Yeah. There's a, there's a number of newer varieties of peppers, and I'll try to find some and put them in the show notes that are extremely decorative. Yes. <laughs> um, I, I grew a couple for Burpee last year. And of course, I can't remember the names, but I'll put them in the show notes. And um, they they looked like wild hair. I mean, the peppers were like all different colors and sticking straight up, but they were ultra hot. Oh, ultra, yes. So ultra, little... ultra hot peppers. <laughs> so you had to be a little careful with those. At least the, the cayenne don't get as hot as the ones you're talking about. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You got to be careful about that. So, yeah. Well, one thing I did want to ask you about is you are known all over the internet as Frau Zinni. So, how did you get that name? And um, do you grow zinnias? <laughs> How'd you guess? <laughs> um, so yes, I, I do grow zinnias. They're one of my favorite flowers for lots of reasons. They're easy to grow. They're colorful. They, you know, attract the pollinators. Um, so when I was coming up with the blog uh, years ago, I was trying to think of what would be like a unique and catchy name. So part of part of my family background is German. Uh, so I was just kind of playing around like what would be like a rough translation of Mrs. Zinnia. And that's how I came up with Frau Zinni. Um, so, you know, it is a rough translation, but it does stand out because, uh, you know, people here and they're like, oh, that's that's different. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And how long have you been blogging? Oh, um, for Frowsing, I believe I started that in 2011. We ended up getting our first home in 2009. So for the first two years, you know, I was, um, you know, gardening, but I wasn't sharing so much at that point in time. And then the blog started where I, you know, started sharing photos of how the property was changing with the plants I was adding. And then um, as, you know, I learned more about plants, I talked to more people who were gardening experts and I kind of combined the journalism background I have with 
with that to share that knowledge with others too. So the blog is a blend of my personal gardening experiences and then um, interviews with experts as well. Okay, that that is cool. And have you always done food gardening on your property as well? Yeah, you know, um, early on, the first thing I tried to plant out there was tomatoes. Um, I unfortunately, when I first moved here, I planted them near the black walnut, and I learned very quickly that was a no no. Um, but that was also another way to to um, for me to start growing in containers um, in that full sun area. And then I gradually expanded, and you know wanted to try like, oh, that looks pretty. So I added that or, um, you know, I have never grown bok choy before. So I was like, let's try bok choy and see what that tastes like. So after a while, uh, it became a wild assortment. And, you know, I found out things I like and don't like. Um, I do grow some plants also. I have a house rabbit. Uh, so he likes to have his celery and his dill and his basil. And I got to keep him happy. So I, I grow that as well in containers. <laughs> For young gardeners or new gardeners, and we know that last year in 2020, there were just a huge number of people that started gardening. What's the what advice do you give to some of these new gardeners as they're they're beginning, or maybe they're going into their second year? Well, I think um, you know anyone can can grow a plant. I think it really comes to you know trying and experimenting, and you know you might you might kill a plant or two, but that's also part of the learning process. And I think you have to be okay with that happening. And if it does happen, don't think, well, that's it, I'm done, I can't grow anything. Um, but now you know, like, oh, maybe I watered that way too much, and now I know next time don't water it so much and it'll do better. So you're constantly always learning with gardening. I feel like there's so many different areas that you can you can grow and, and learn about as well. Um, so I would say, you know, read as much as you can, listen to as many like podcasts like, like this great one and, um, you know, blogs that you can get access to and just, you know, always have those conversations. There's lots of Facebook groups where people are always talking about gardening and, and sharing their photos. And I think the best part is just getting excited about, about growing your own food. Right, right. And food is actually, you know, fairly easy. I think lettuce is a pretty easy thing for people to start with. And homegrown lettuce is really delicious. I mean, like, it's, there's a real difference between that and what's, you know, in those plastic jugs at the store. <laughs> right. And the thing with tomatoes or, you know, some of the, uh, some of the vegetables that people tend to want to grow. Once you get a little success, you just can't stop. Yeah. And I really hope that the book also sets people up to, you know, maybe they'll try one project and if that goes really well, they'll be more willing to try a second one. Or, you know, maybe they start with a tomato because that sounds, that is familiar to what, to them, but then try something totally different. Um, for me, like the bok choy, like, you know, I never would have thought to, to grow that, but now that I have, I'm like, oh, that's fun. And I, I include that in my, in my growing plans for the season. Well, the name of the book is Micro Food Gardening by Jen McGinnis, and it is uh, full of great projects for first-time gardeners or second-time gardeners or experienced gardeners who are growing, especially in, in containers. So thanks so much, Jen, for stopping by, um, and uh, good luck with the book. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. If you are enjoying Grow It Minnesota, Please subscribe, follow, and give us a review over on Apple Podcasts. That really helps me reach more cold climate gardeners. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back in a couple of weeks with another show.